0: John's Gospel, chapter 12. I'm going to begin beginning uh, my reading here in a few minutes with the uh, 12th verse, but before I get into the text, I want to give you a working definition of the word dawn because it has several implications for today's message and for the messages going forward through the course of this week. So when I define dawn, I think of it as in this way. It's the first appearance of light after a dark night, and that's something that we experience physically in our life. There's a dawn that is coming, and it comes after a season of darkness. Here comes the light. It is the beginning of a new era. You've probably heard this phrase before. It's the dawn of a new civilization. And what does that mean? It's the beginning of something brand new, something that has never existed before is about to come onto the scene. But then there's a third meaning, For this word dawn that we use in our lives, it's the start of a new season or dispensation in the earth. And for today's purpose, I want to remind you that our text takes place in early spring. They're coming out of a hard winter, a long winter. We can all identify with that. And they're looking forward to this new season of spring that is about to break forth In the nation of Israel and Jesus, knowing that the time had come for him to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast, which was a commemoration of God's delivering power for the Hebrew people from Pharaoh and from Egyptian captivity. So let's camp there just for a moment. Jesus, knowing everything that is written about the Messiah must be fulfilled, begins to set his face like flint towards Jerusalem, the holy city, the city of David, the city of King David. And as he is preparing for this journey, he's very aware of the history of this moment, the Passover, the moment in which God showed forth his salvation, his power, his deliverance for his people who were being held by Pharaoh, who is a type of Satan or the devil, in captivity in Egypt, which is a type of the world. So not only did God deliver them from the power and the authority of darkness, he also brought them into a new land with a new beginning, and it was the dawn of a new day for his people. So Jesus is aware of the significance of this moment, the weightiness of this moment. And here he comes into Jerusalem. He had prepared himself to fulfill what was written in the law and the prophets concerning the Messiah. And while Jesus was fully cognizant of what must be done in order to bring salvation to mankind, everyone else was still in the dark. Dawn had not come to them yet. They were still veiled in their understanding. They still didn't see or understand what was going on. But that would soon change a new day was about to dawn. John's Gospel chapter 12 and verse 12, it says, The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he was found, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it was written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, and that they had been done, and they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he uh, called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. And for this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And God bless the reading of his word. Amen. 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 Spiritual winter was now giving place to spiritual spring. The palm branches are significant for the people that had gathered that day. It's the symbol of victory. It was given to one who would triumph over an opponent or over an enemy. So it could be used in an athletic way or it could be used in uh, in a time of combat or conflict or war. And so when palm branches were presented, they were presented to people who had triumph, people who were victorious. and And therefore, they have great meaning and significance in this particular setting the people had begun to you know have an allegiance towards Jesus they they had a propensity to gather where he was going to follow him to the next place and his fame was be becoming uh, well known and established throughout the region uh and and as as a result of this there was this anticipation wherever he went that something good was going to happen change is possible a new day can dawn that things can be different, uh, that the sick can be made whole, that those that were demonized could be delivered, that the addict could be set free, that those that that were were bound in darkness could come to the light. And where he went, there was, you know, this this sort of uh, whisper in the crowd. Uh, where is Jesus? I, I hear he's over here. Let's go there. And and they 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 love to hear him teach but they loved to see God work after he taught and and confirm his 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 son's words with signs that accompanied and And who doesn't long and and desire to to see God work in our way to where shackles are broken and and strongholds in our minds and ways of thinking are shattered because of the light and the love of Jesus Christ. And, And that's the dawn of a new day when light and love break through in our understanding, then old things begin to fade away and this hope of a new life, a new beginning begins to dawn in our heart. And the dawn is the beginning. It's not the culmination. It's the start of something new. And there's, there's many other seasons after this initial awakening that happens in our life. But this is what is transpiring as Jesus comes over the brow of the hill and begins to enter into Jerusalem. There's a massive group of humanity that has, have come from all regions and all cities and all quadrants of the nation and they have this expectation that salvation is now deliverance is now victory is now Jesus is going to triumph now and it's symbolized by these palm branches and and there's also some other uh, very important things that are happening because Jesus is visually experiencing this as well as he's hearing it he's hearing these shouts and he's hearing these cries and and the word Hosanna is now being lifted up by the people. Hosanna is, is a word in, in that really s- is a summary of a prayer. And the prayer goes like this. Save us, O Lord. Save us, O Lord. So palm branches and the cry of Hosanna. Lord, save us. Lord, save us. And it's, it's not spoken in, in a tone that's quiet. It's, It's a shout, it's an adoration, it's one of praise, it's one of jubilation, like, here comes the sun, here comes the dawn, here comes a new day, here comes victory, here comes the one that we've been praying for to save us, here comes the Messiah. It's a mixed crowd. We understand that it's not only those that love him, it's those that oppose him. And in this And in this large group, there are those that are listening and their blood pressure is boiling at this point. Uh, They they do not want the allegiance of the people to be shifted from uh, them and their methods and their ways of governing and controlling people to a king that would bring a new day. In their mind, they didn't need a new day. They didn't need a different way. They didn't need something different. But yet, Jesus, when he comes into our life, he begins to put things back in their proper place. He, He is just a master at that, of just coming into our life. And whatever season you've invited him into your life, that's where he begins. And the restoration goes forward for the rest of our life. So not only does he have his allies, he has his enemies that are that are gathered at this time. So there's somewhat of a of a a mixed opinion. The pollsters aren't quite sure yet what to think about Jesus. Is he the Messiah? Is he the one that we've been longing and looking for, or is he just a, another prophet who will come on the scenes and simply fade away? But it's been said about Jesus, no one taught like Jesus and no one was used in the Lord in mighty ways and miracles and signs and wonders like Jesus. So as a result of that, part of the spiritual winter that the people were experiencing was this dormancy is the only way I can really describe it is that for 400 years, there hasn't been a prophet, let alone one like Jesus. 400 years of silence from Malachi's last prophetic utterance in the Old Testament until the dawn of a new day when Jesus was born. And he was born in a glorious way. The heavens opened up, the angels sang. There were visitations, there were visions, there were dreams. And what happened on the The incarnation and the birth of our Savior into the world was the dawning of a new day. But people still were somewhat like skeptical and yet hopeful. Have you ever been caught between the two? I mean, optimistic that things could change, but pessimistic that it's been this way so long. Could it ever change? Can I say that again? That's what we call being stuck. I mean, this longing for something new, but this familiarity with what is broken. And sometimes we get so accustomed to what is broken, we don't really embrace what's new because what's new is change. And it's easy to hold on to the brokenness. And in some people's lives, that becomes the source of their identity. It's the way that they associate the story of their life. And they they use a lot of different terms for it. You know, whether it's coming from a broken home, whether it's a status socially or economically, we're not a people of means. We've never had much. People that sometimes felt like maybe they weren't given a fair shake in life resent others who they feel had a silver spoon handed to them. But everyone needs change. Everyone, without exception, needs Jesus. And everyone, whether they want to admit it or not, sort of recoils with the word change because it requires something of us. And I think it first begins with a willingness. It requires a willingness. If there's first a willing heart, you know obedience follows willingness. If if someone is just obeying. But they're not really willing. It's not really going to produce much change. But the willingness leads to obedience, leads to change. So let's first and foremost be willing to hear the part of the story that applies to us here in a few minutes. Because there's a few more things that I need to share about this moment in Jesus' life. Because... He's the one that we love and adore, and he's the one that's the example to us in all things. So Jesus, fully aware of what was going to happen, still went and was going to fulfill what was written about him. Hosanna, Lord, save us, those shouts of adoration and praise and joy. So the visual and the auditorial that Jesus is experiencing is... uh It's something he's never permitted, and yet he permits it at this time. All right, what's the significance of a cult? I thought kings came in on the most prized stallion. Well, for maybe those that were in authority, maybe Pilate, maybe Herod, maybe Caesar. But Jesus was going to usher in a, a kingdom from a different perspective. And while they ruled by position, Jesus was going to rule by example. He was going to be the greatest because he was going to serve us all. The other kings, the people were their subjects. We're never a subject to to our Savior. He willingly comes and washes our feet. He willingly comes and speaks to us. He serves us. And so when this cult that Jesus is riding on, you know, blankets thrown over it. It comes over the crest. It sent a really significant message to the crowd. They, they got it. What is the significance of this cult? The significance is this. It was an act that was intentionally done and planned by Jesus. It was a sign. It was a sign that all the people of Jerusalem would recognize the fulfillment of a messianic prophecy by Zechariah. Jesus, who was sitting on this colt, Jesus is equivalent or synonymous with salvation. The cult is equivalent or synonymous with humility. The picture is really clear. Humility was ushering in salvation. Jesus came lowly riding on a colt, innocent, humble, and yet a king. And he would rule differently than any other king that they had experienced. And when we humble ourselves, we experience salvation. A little side thought here for humor's sake. It would have been inappropriate for the donkey to believe that the people were waving palm branches And singing Hosanna to him. Amen. It would also be inappropriate for us. To believe that. Without Christ. We wouldn't have victory. We wouldn't have triumph. It's all because of him. So all the attention. All the adoration was going to him. Here comes the son. Spiritual darkness. Was going to be dealt with. Through the course of Jesus obedience. And the father's. Resurrection through the person of the Holy Spirit, death would be defeated, our arch enemy. Spiritual spring would come and Jesus, our king, would make all things new. And his kingdom would dwell forever and ever and ever. When Jesus came over the brow of that hill on that day, it was a brand new day. A new day had dawned. And it was getting brighter and brighter and brighter. The last week of Jesus' ministry would be very trying, very taxing on him. But he teaches us three important lessons from today's reading. Jesus, all the pressure, all the weight of the world is upon him. Knowing everything that was written about him concerning the Messiah had to be fulfilled exactly the way it was written. Puts pressure. Have you ever felt pressure because of expectations to perform in work or in a relationship, or maybe you were part of an uh, orchestra or a band or an athletic team, and with the expectations, there comes more pressure? I, I think here for a moment, just for us Iowans, as, as a moment of, of celebration, can you imagine what Caitlin Clark feels? When she walks into the arena and all eyes are upon her, everyone expects her to make every shot, to make the perfect pass, to lead her team today to national championship status. Now, we identify that with, to a degree. Magnify that many, 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 many times over. Every eye was on Jesus. Everyone had an opinion, an idea, an expectation. And yet the only responsibility that, that Jesus had was to do the will of the Father. If, if he began to entertain what men wanted him to do, the way he wanted them to do it, in the season that he wanted them to do it, he would have gotten off course. And so this is why I want you to really pay attention to what we need to learn from Jesus because expectations are placed upon us whether we like it or not. There's expectations upon me as a pastor that I didn't ask for, but came with the calling. And if I try to fulfill them in my own ability or I try to become a people pleaser or I try to do things in my own timing, then I forfeit the witness of Jesus power in my life because it's not me. It's the grace of God that's been extended towards me. The same thing happens with husbands and wives you know, children have expectations of our par- of parents, Some of them are, I you know, realistic and and some of them aren't. You know, I thought my grandfather could fly. I mean, that's how much of a status person, you know, he was a big man. And and uh, there was a lot of things that that I value that he brought into my life. And as a result of that, you know, I just never thought like I always thought he was bulletproof. I just never thought that, you know, uh, I wouldn't have him in my life or he wouldn't be there. But, you know, as I grew older and he grew older, I realized that he would eventually not be there. I bring that up because we have a family today I want us to keep in our prayers, the Robinsons and Rhonda Hammond as they gather this afternoon. And for a funeral, for a father, for a grandfather, for a great-grandfather. There's always these expectations at work, whether they're realistic or not realistic. How many of you have a job description? At the bottom of your job description, does it have a caveat like, and being willing to do anything else that we ask? (laughs) That's an expectation, right? Right. And, and and does it have maybe a second asterisk that like and with a willing and joyful attitude? And but as Christians, maybe that should be an expectation that we are willing to place upon ourselves And to work hardly as unto the Lord. OK, so here are some things that I want us to ponder and consider about as Jesus came into Jerusalem, that preparation is important. Know what you need to do and prepare accordingly. That's not unrealistic. That's a realistic expectation. If you know what you need to do, prepare accordingly and do it. If someone lays out a plan, if someone lays out a purpose, if someone says this is what it requires, and that's what our Heavenly Father did in light of the prophecies and the law that were written concerning the Messiah, then Jesus had to be willing to prepare himself for what God had prepared for him. And he had to prepare himself spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And preparation takes all of us. All of us. You ever walked into a meeting unprepared? Didn't think you'd be called upon. Your report wasn't going to be presented at that particular meeting. And you wish you would have prepared. Preparation, if you're taking notes, takes off the pressure. Preparation Takes off some of the pressure. Because you've, you've done the due diligence to do it and 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 rehearse it and practice it and now you're prepared. Can I go back to Caitlin Clark as a moment of celebration? Right? How smooth was she on those free throws? Why? She was prepared. Ever since she was a little girl, she stood in her driveway in shop baskets and shop baskets and shop baskets. Now, when you do the due diligence, there is a reward for it. Promotion does come to those that are prepared. Was Jesus about to experience the greatest exaltation in history? Absolutely. But he had to be prepared to go through the process. And the process was not going to be an easy one, but he did it all for us. He did it for us. Number two, commitment to the plan and the purpose can only be done once the cost has been counted. You can't commit to something if you don't sit down and first count the cost. Jesus counted the cost before he went into Jerusalem. If you and I are going to make commitments, we have to count the cost. One of the requirements I have before I marry someone is that we have premarital counseling. Why? Because they need to know something about the commitment they're about to make. And if they don't understand that they have to count the cost before they make the commitment, then it's easy to get out of the commitment. We say things like this. I didn't know it was going to cost me this. No one ever told me this. I didn't think about this. Jesus thought about it. Meditated on it, prepared for it, counted the cost, and then he was able to go through with a commitment. All right. Number three, lessons that we learn from Jesus. In our moments of testing and trying, and yes, we will be tested and tried not to the degree that he was, but we will face tests and trials. Timing is important. We must not only know what to do. But when it is time to do it, as Jesus came into Jerusalem, the crowd got the message right. But they got the timing wrong. What they were saying is overthrow the Roman government now bring victory to us. Now, they didn't understand their bigger enemy was death. They didn't understand their real Opponent that needed to be defeated was the devil. They thought it was the Roman government. Listen, government is something that God ordained and instituted. But the bigger picture is who is governing your life? Who's governing your attitudes? Who's governing your opinions? Who is sitting in the throne of your heart helping you to negotiate difficult and trying times? If it's Jesus, you're being governed by the greatest counselor ever. Can I get an amen? Amen. But timing is important. Not only what to do, but when it is time to do it. Jesus spoke this word about his own brothers. He said, for you, the time is always now, but not for me. The timing has to match the plan and the purpose. And then... When that door opens, no one can close it. That door that God opens, you're just going to walk right through. The timing of it is so significant. What's going to help us to really get that piece right? We'll prepare, count the cost, and then when the time comes, you'll know it. It'll just be right. It'll be right. And it won't be according to your timetable or your needs or your desires. It'll be according to the Father's will. It's time. The preparation has been done. The counting of the cost has occurred. And the time has come. Those are important, important lessons. Jesus reminds us in the midst of all of this to do three things. Never run from God. Always run to God. In moments of pressure, trying times, difficult moments, run to your Savior, not from your Savior. Has anyone run from? Do you find yourself turning around and running too? Yes. Amen. Well, let's just keep running to more than we run from. And the good news, Jesus has long arms. So you can run or wander as sheep do. And uh, as much as we try to hide or we try to, you know, not be apart, he still beckons us to come. And because of that, we come. And when we come, we wonder why we ran. But the more we come, the less we run from him. The more you run to your Savior, the less you run from him. I, I, I understand. It can be like somewhat intimidating to go to him. But when you do, you want to go to him again and again and again and again because sometimes our preconceived ideas of what he would say or how he would handle us are different than what he actually does say and how he does handle us. I believe the Lord knows we punish ourselves much more harshly than what he ever would. Have you ever beat yourself up and beat yourself up and beat yourself up? And then you came to Jesus and you thought maybe he was going to beat you up some more. And he didn't beat you up at all. And he tries to get you not to beat yourself up. Have you ever permitted something in your life because you ran and ran and ran and you did things you're embarrassed by, ashamed of, don't want to talk about. But yet when you talk to Jesus about it, what you find is forgiveness and the dawn of a new day the beginning of a new season in your life you see jesus isn't like us that's one of our mistakes that we've made is that we try to make god like us and one of the things that god's trying to do is make us like him (laughs) can i get a witness yeah We, we just think that you know somehow in some you know way We can convince God that our ways are better, but they're not. So don't run from two. Number two, keep a tender heart towards him. Uh, Jesus could have resented the path that his father had for him, but the path was the path and he didn't let it bother him. And Jesus died for those that were opposing him in the crowd also. That means he kept a tender heart towards his enemies. Number three. Jesus reminds us in those moments of testing and trying that compromise is costly. There's consequences. Not condemnation. You can still be cleansed and forgiven. But there are consequences when we compromise. There's no shortcuts to the will of God. There's none. Zero. And while we think we might be ready or prepared or we might have counted the cost, if the timing and the door hasn't opened, then we have to judge that properly and not compromise by settling for something less than God's best. Let me put it in this way, and I think it sums it up quite nicely. If we know to do good, we should do it. Don't compromise. If you know what's right, do what's right. If you have light, walk in the light that you have. If you know the truth, then live in the truth and speak the truth. That's not compromising. If you're unaware of something, keep preparing. Keep praying, keep thinking, contemplating, keep trusting God's timing. And we all have those areas of our life that we're unaware of. But we can commit those to the Lord in prayer. Not my will, but your will. Not my ways, but your ways. Not my thoughts, but your thoughts. And that happens in any person's life. Because seasons for us come and go. But the dawn of a new day for us spiritually means that the darkness is gone, the light has come, and the light is with us always. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the light. We're attracted to light. We love the light. We draw life from the light. Let's stay close to the light. Amen. 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 Father, we thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness as you went into Jerusalem, Lord, and you began your passion, which was to do the will of the Father and to suffer for our sins and to trust and to commit your spirit into your into your Father's hands so that we, Lord, could experience the dawn of a new day. We thank you for this, and we love you because you first loved us. In the name of Jesus, we pray and thank you. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Would you stand? Thank you for being gracious, listening contemplating what was being shared this morning. I want to read out of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance or patience the race that is set before us. How, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, Who for the joy that was set before him, and that was us. You ever wondered what that phrase meant? The joy that was set before him was us. What? He endured the cross for us. He despised the shame for us. And he sat down at the right hand, the throne of God for us. He did it all for us. Didn't give in to the pressure. So prepared. So patient. So kind. So loving. Such a wonderful example. Counted the cost over and over and over again. And when the time came, he he did it all.